0: creating your own reality. Is it possible for me? I am Jennifer K. Hill, the Consciousness Architect, and I am here to tell you that it's not only possible, it's closer than you might think. Welcome to the show. Hello, friends, and thank you so much for being here for another episode of Regarding Consciousness. I am Jennifer K. Hill, host of this show, and so grateful to bring to you wisdom from teachers, scientists, authors, and thought leaders from every corner of the earth. Today, we have a new friend, Brad Wetzler, joining us from Austin, Texas, who was introduced by our other mutual friend, Bruce Cryer. I always like to thank the people who bring the beautiful introductions and synchronicities into our lives. And so I'm so grateful to be here today with you, sharing a bit about Brad's journey and his incredible new book, Into the Soul of the World, My Journey to Healing. Brad began his career writing and publishing as an editor at Outside Magazine, where he worked with some of America's finest nonfiction writers. He later turned his editor's pen for writers and traveled the world writing about travel and exploration business, politics, environment, sports, and wellness, just to name a few things he was writing about. In midlife, after recovering from a lifelong debilitating depression, he became a certified yoga teacher and began exploring and writing about our inner landscape, psychology, spirituality, meditation, and yoga. Brad, thank you so much for being here and for sharing this beautiful story and journey of how you went from a young man and being prescribed pills by your doctor who said, oh, sounds like you have bipolar. Let's just throw you on lithium, I believe it was, to now being a man who's traveled around the world and seen the darkest corners of both the world and your soul. And now here you are mm-hmm. to tell the tale. So thank you for being here with us.
1: Thank you, Jennifer. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Brad, share with us, I really resonated a lot with your book. I personally have struggled as well. My father is an alcoholic. I love my dad's pieces. We talk still every day. And sometimes that can be very challenging. And I think you even talk about this in the book where you have these two sides to a parent. On the one side, you idealize them and you put them on a pedestal. And on the other side is the actual reality of what happens day to day when you're in a household with somebody who maybe has an addiction or mm-hmm. disorder of some sort. So what was that like for you growing up?
1: I grew up, I, I grew up with a lot of anger and I also grew up with a, as a deeply spiritual boy. And I think those parts of me, just as you talked about having kind of a split view of my father I think I had a bit of a split view of myself because of that, and this angry self and this self that was trying to walk the path at that time of Christianity. And and so I think it's been a bit of a lifelong project to heal these different parts of me, to heal the anger. And it's probably how and why I ended up accepting a diagnosis, a wrong diagnosis from a psychiatrist at 24 I had I'd gone to see him. He'd been advised to me from a family friend, and I spent fifty minutes with him and told him stories about my depression. He asked me if I ever felt too good, and I said, "I, I don't know. I don't really know what is too good in that, uh, but I, I don't feel like that's true for me." Regardless, I mentioned that I'd had some spiritual experiences as a boy, some feelings of of deep connection with Jesus and merging with God. And I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back. He decided I was bipolar. I was incredibly gullible at that time. And I accepted the diagnosis and began taking lithium. And I took it for 20 years until my kidneys almost failed.
0: It's such an interesting topic being on the back end. We just had another bestselling author on the show last week, Andy Dunn, who was sharing about his book and his actual journey with bipolar. Ironically, he had, it's it's so funny, the flip-flop of seeing the synchronicity of the way the stories just happen to line up. Andy had the opposite. He was told he had bipolar and then assumed it was a misdiagnosis and went on for 16 years to build and sell a company. Meanwhile, it nearly killed him and his family with what happened because of it. And yet mm-hmm. you see the reverse stories of people who are saying, oops, sorry, I misdiagnosed you. And I think it's such a fine line because there are some people who may need that support for their mm-hmm. well-being. And then there are other people who unfortunately get misdiagnosed. And I think it happens in a variety of areas, not just with bipolar, but depression and being on the spectrum and a wide variety of other things. And I think that what I've found spiritually, and I would welcome your opinion on this, Brad, is that I have found you have to listen to your heart and soul. In Andy's case, he could feel something that something was amiss, something didn't feel right. In the same way that you felt something was amiss, you felt from that first diagnosis from your doctor that it's just, yeah, something's not sitting right. Mm-hmm. And really, it's almost like our souls. You get into this later in and yeah. you start to unveil your spiritual side. What was that moment where you realize, don't think, it's like, we're no longer in, what is it? We're no longer in Kansas anymore. We're mm-hmm. just, ironic. I think you're from Kansas. Uh,
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah. I ended up, be- because it wasn't bipolar, he kept... Proposing we try other things in addition until I was taking this quite a toxic taking 12, 12 or thirteen different medications, twenty three pills per day, until eventually I could couldn't get out of bed and and then he gave me stimulants to so that I would get out of bed, but I was a walking zombie. Eventually, I a friend of mine died by suicide, and and as I was sitting with his body at about six o'clock in the morning, lying in the hallway, I. I just knew and he had been on a lot of medications too. He'd had a lot of trauma in his life and he'd been diagnosed bipolar, which I don't know if it's true really. But long story short, I went home after spending the morning there and it was almost like as I laid down to take a short rest, I could almost sense some like eyes inside me opening up and waking up. and. I knew that I had just seen where I was headed if I didn't make a change, and so I guess the first kind of waking up was this dramatic, awful experience. And but then a month later, I saw an advert advertisement for the Jesus Trail, which was a new trail in Israel, and it was forty miles long. And so I was a travel writer, although I hadn't written in many years. Well, I immediately. Emailed the editor I used to work with at the New York Times and said, I want to go hike the Jesus Trail. And she she wrote back five minutes later, she said, Go. And I ended up spending 10 weeks in Israel and in the West Bank and really looking into my soul, looking into my heart, and trying to see if I could follow a Christian path again. And by the time I got home, I realized that wasn't the right path for me, but it had awakened my heart. And I saw that that was a big part of the, maybe the solution to what was afflicting me. And so eventually, I started moving my body more, I got into yoga, I also got into more Eastern thinking. And one thing led to another. And eventually, I got a trauma diagnosis. And so that was the source of this all. And, and then things started to click, and I began to heal. And But it was this I guess it was the wandering in Israel and Palestine that opened my heart first.
0: So share a little bit about that for, let's say somebody out there right now is listening or watching and they're saying, you know what, I feel not myself. Something is not clicking. What do you recommend to somebody who is going through a challenging time in their own lives? Maybe they're hmm. not sure whether, what their ailment might be. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's mental. How, what would you recommend
1: I would recommend moving your body, for one thing. I think so many of us live static lives staring at screens, and that was an important part of my recovery is just feeling again. And I think the second part is to start connecting with your heart and in whatever way you know how to do it for you, whether it's prayer, whether it's meditation, going inward and trying to feel. And I think the heart is a big word and has a lot of different meanings. But I think, and I believe in the spiritual meaning of that word, but I also believe that our deepest feelings are important to listen to. And that's what began to bring me alive and as i connected with my heart my body i began to feel again and i began to get off the medications and as i became off the medications and connected with my heart there was it just opened up i wouldn't say like a flood it took years but it was a slow awakening of feeling of and i'm not talking about emotion i'm talking more about the subtle feeling of aliveness the subtle feeling of energy and that that we are thriving beings, and it was just coming alive as a human again. So that that's, I think that's what I would say.
0: Yeah, it's, it's funny. People don't even realize it, but there's actually a physiological response that our body creates. And I remember a doctor friend of mine in LA once shared this, it happened to me, where it's called armoring, where your body will fall to I think it's iron or other heavy metals, and will literally armor it itself against other people. You go through enough trauma in your life. I had three suicide attempts and died in a car crash hanging upside down over a cliff. And I think all of these things, we just put these metaphorical as well as these physical boundaries between ourselves and others. And I love what you're sharing, Brad, about the idea of moving the body. It was only for me about five years ago, I discovered dance and whether Mm. it's dance, yoga, running, rock climbing, even just going for long walks. There's rarely a day where I don't walk at least two to three miles And I invite us all to ask, what sort of movement is your body Mm looking for? Maybe it's swimming. There is no right or wrong answer. And yet, to your point, Brad, there's something one of my friends and teachers, David, always says is swamp energy. If we sit there, and to your point, if we're sitting in front of a screen all day and we're not dancing, we're not moving, we're not walking even around, then just the way a swamp stagnates and gathers energy, so too does our energy stagnate. And that creates a whole myriad of physical, mental, and psychological opportunities.
1: For sure. And as you say that word swamp, I connected with the part of us that's an animal for some reason, as that free association. And as beings that have a higher self, we're also animals. And I think there's a certain connection with our instincts and letting them flow through us again. And I think you're right that this blocking of the heart and it even can block the channels of feeling and i guess i don't want to sound repetitive but to me the body version of the heart was these deep feelings and i also believe that this heart was where we are all connected maybe with the the soul of the world
0: did you try inner child work or what really helped you aside from yoga to connect to those deep feelings
1: Yeah. So meditation and then eventually working with a a well known Buddhist somatic experiencing therapist in Boulder where I used to live. And after being on all those medications and having tried various forms of psychotherapy, this type of therapy is is about feeling and it's about slowing down and feeling what's happening in this moment. And and both on the physical level and energetic level and I'll give you a little example. Sometimes I'll realize that I'm really living in my head. And I, if I notice it, if my mind is spinning, I will also notice that my head actually feels a little bit toxic. And And so this therapist had taught me all these different techniques about moving that energy. Can you just sit and stack your spine and shoulders over your hips and list, almost picture moving the energy around so that, it's all evens out. So that that bad energy in your head ends up just running through you and you just become a full energy flow again. And she taught me that and a lot of other techniques that really began. And the other thing she said was, and I've studied a lot of the philosophy of yoga, but she said, turn every day into yoga. So you're going to have to, for the rest of your life, see every day as a yoga practice. And that was an eye-opener for me that it's that awareness of, of maintaining our spiritual and emotional selves and doing it every day. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. As I've often shared with people, until I was introduced to the idea of inner child work, I would be sitting here and it'd be five, six o'clock, whatever time it would be, and I wouldn't realize I was feeling sad. Did you ever have this, Brad, mm-hmm. where it's like, you had no idea you were sad, yeah. tired, hungry, angry, because as human beings, we busy ourselves. We're running to something, running away from something. And I started doing inner child work. And mm-hmm. every day I would ask my little inner child, my inner girl, sweetheart, how are you feeling today? Mm-hmm. What's going on? And I would be shocked, Brad. Like 42-year-old Jennifer would be shocked that I was sad. And she'd say, I'm sad. And I'm going like... I'm sad. What am I sad about? <laughs> so then I'd inquire and I'd be like, sweetheart, what are you sad about? And sure enough, it was something I'd repressed or brushed off. And it's so beautiful when you reconnect to the full spectrum of emotions. When you have, like you have all of the colors of a rainbow, you have sadness, joy, ecstasy, fear, and there is no right or wrong, but it's beautiful when you allow yourself to feel the full breadth of these emotions.
1: Absolutely. I definitely connect with that. And I also have done some inner child work. And I just, I think, again, this, the sense of feeling is, is healing. And, and I, maybe that's a, maybe that's, that's already a cliche title. out there. I, I know, right?
0: Title, the sense of feeling is healing. You should go write that book.
1: <laughs> and being, and like you said, learning to be aware of it. And I think that especially for men, we talk about the armoring of the heart and I think men are especially good at armoring the heart. And I think it's almost expected of us to function in society. I know things have changed a lot, but I, th- I still think the me- the primary messages that men get are to not feel and to not express and to keep all of that contained. And I think that as a boy was probably what, in part what happened to me is I learned that feelings weren't okay and no way to express them. And I slowly became a toxic man myself. So it took a lot of undoing and a lot of of slowing down and again, feeling. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So what would your advice be, whether you're a man or a woman out there, if you're not in touch with your feelings, what do you recommend to reconnect?
1: The word sacred just came up for me. And I think this is going to be an answer coming in through the side window. But I think if you can connect with the sacred part of your life. And again, for me, the feelings began to come back. I created an altar at one point years ago, 10 years ago. And every day when I stumbled out of bed, you know, the first thing I did was put some music. Actually, for me, it was Krishna Das music. And, and I lit a candle and lit incense, sat. And at that time, I didn't even know how to meditate. I just sat and cried and felt and remembered. And so I guess the first thing is, can you make something sacred in your life and slow down? And also, there's a lot of ways to answer that question, going back to movement. And I loved what you said about there's no right and wrong. That feels very important. For me, it was yoga in this tradition. I, and, and my yoga mat became the place where my feelings would come out. And there's a famous... Yoga is famous for people crying in shavasana and it's it's, it's no wonder it's not a it's not a, a fluke. it's that moving the body releases the traumas of our past. For some reason sacred is, is an important word for me slowing down and, fe- and allowing yourself to feel and almost imagining taking these layers of you said armor and I sometimes think of almost like leather over our hearts and it's almost you got to just uh, peel them off to get to the tender place.
0: Ah, I love that. As you just shared that, Brad, I was shown a vision. It's As I shared with you before, people always ask, what are we going to talk about? What are the questions? And as I shared with you, I just go into a completely altered state when we do these interviews. And what I was shown as you were mentioning, removing that leather is an old Kabbalistic adage, as many of I love to study Kabbalah. And in Kabbalah, they say that imagine each one of us is this beautiful light, like you have this glowing, gorgeous light. And yet, We have our fears, which is like Mm. cellophane paper over it. And then we have our doubts. And then we have the mistakes, shame, and so on and so forth, until what once was this vibrant, glowing light that was Brad, was Jennifer, was you out there, that it takes years of peeling back in that layer. And you start to see almost like these little pinpricks of light that begin to escape out that we're there all along, that light is within each and every one of us, and yet we cover it up with our darkness, our fear, our rage, our sadness. And I think to our earlier point about feeling emotions, as we feel the rage, as we feel and process the joy, the sadness, whatever it might be, each one of those is peeling back one of those layers that allows more light to emanate.
1: Yes, and I will add that another practice I did was metta meditation and self-compassion. I discovered the work of Kristen Neff, self-compassion work, and Sharon Salzberg, and I began to repeat this meditation of may I be filled with loving kindness, may I be well, and moving through all those phases and then directing it outward as well. And that I think that began to peel back the shame, which is what I think all that art is covering up, as you suggested. And once you can get down in there, there's the phrase this too shall pass ends up becoming true. And you begin to learn that these really toxic states that you can work yourself into will pass and you have faith that they will know they will. And uh, yeah.
0: I love that. You made me think of one of my favorite meditations when I'm having a hard day. I believe it's Lisa Abramson on Insight Timer. She has this three or four minute loving kindness meditation says, put a hand on your heart. And I remember exactly where I was the first time I said this, I was in Paris having a hard day, crying my eyes out. And you say, as you put your hand on your heart, I'm having a hard time right now. Everyone feels this way. Sometimes I will be kind to myself in this moment. I will give myself the compassion I need, and you just say that two or three times, and every time, you know, you might cry a little, you might laugh at like <laughs> the irony of it or whatever it might be, but every time I say that, my heart opens a little bit more.
1: Yeah, and as you're saying that, I kept thinking of the ways that we tell ourselves. The thinking brain tells us, "Buck up! Oh, you're okay." and you just might not be, but you might have fallen for the this words of your inner critic that's telling you to within the messages we get in society as well, that we've got to buck up and that feelings aren't allowed. I love that meditation that you just recited. And I think that, again, takes us down into that tender place. I sometimes imagine, I really believe that humans are just like some little starfish thing you might find on the beach. And like, you touch it and its legs curl up. And and it's just like, we are that tender, men included. And we walk around telling ourselves that we're not. And that distance between what we tell ourselves and who we are and what we feel, the wider the distance, the more suffering we have, I think.
0: Yes, there's a great book by Don Miguel Ruiz. And it was about love. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It was something love. Mm. And in the book, he talks about how we're all like burn victims, like third degree burn victims, and we Mm. don't realize it. And if I get too close to you and it's like you, God forbid, you accidentally touch my burn net, like we recoil just like the starfish that you said in pain. And yet, how much kinder could we be? How much more sensitive? And just today I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, and it's called Weekly Energy Boost that I love. It's the only one I listen to every single week. And in it, they were saying that if you are critical, or if you're critical of somebody else, or you hear somebody being critical, know that is a reflection of that own person's inner critic. But those of us, who are critical towards others, you can't even imagine the amount of criticism we're directing towards ourselves. And I think it's a beautiful reminder that we have external people, we have family members, doctors, peers, whomever it might be, trying to tell us who they think we are, they think we are. And yet, from the work that you did and the work in this beautiful book, Brad, it's, it's the more that we go inside, we do that inner self-discovery that then allows us to show up in the world as who we say we are rather than a projection of who others assume we are.
1: Yeah, I think there was a way in which the physical movement, the meditation, the therapy, all of it worked together to start uncovering who I was. And there was a way that I began to get more discernment too, to differentiate between the false stories that others had told me and and those same false stories that I began to tell myself. And it was almost like I began to see this knot that was inside me that, that had gotten knotted up over the years and began to just almost pick it apart to see, okay, that one, that one's not true. That one, that one that, that my family told me was utterly false. And uh, this one that society told me was utterly false. And here's what's true. And it almost like a, An unraveling and a clearing out of what is most true, which is can only be discovered by that kind of inner work and that quiet time and letting go of. You've got to grieve a lot too to realize you live so many years believing false stories about yourself. And, but that's what shame does too. The shame can be that almost like a a gravitational pull that, that tells us our inner critic almost feeds on that. It somehow our inner critic. And when it connects with that shame, it gets even more vicious, or at least that was true with me. And so in the end, I began to realize that shame was the source of my depression. It never was bipolar, as we talked about. It was deep shame from holding family secrets, holding the projections of being a truth teller in an addicted family, and being the scapegoat and, and that shame led to the de- I almost just my inner critic talked myself into that depression and I guess that's one thing I would like to leave or yeah, your audience with is really ask questions about what might be causing if you are experiencing depression and you've got to know that it's these biochemical models that that came of age in the 1990s and that everything was fixable with medications You may need a little bit of medication and that's fine, but if you're on so much that you're disconnected from your feelings, then the path is really hard forward. It's really a difficult path forward.
0: Yes, I think it's an invitation to get curious. I think ask questions, not just about where the pain is coming from, but ask questions in life. Mm. Get curious rather than assuming or taking something at face value. That's where we connect to the infinite and to the power of the intelligence all around us, when we say, oh, this is that way, there's no flexibility. There's no movement Yeah, it goes back to that swamp energy. And yet when we get curious, it's stirring the swamp. You're moving with it. You're flowing. And when you create that flow, it's from that place that magic and miracles can happen. And so, Brad, thank you so much for being here today. Where can people connect with you if they want to pick up the book, if they want to learn more about your practices? Where would they go?
1: So my book is available at bookstores and on Amazon. It's called Into the Soul of the World, My Journey to Healing. And they can also connect with me on my website at bradwetzler.com. And you can reach out to me there. I help people write memoirs themselves. That's what my work is. And so if you're working on a memoir or think you might want to, feel free to connect with me.
0: Beautiful, Brad. Mm. Thank you for sharing your story and being so authentic and letting down some of your armor today and sharing Mm. it so beautifully with your heart in this book and in this interview. And I invite us all, where could we release a little bit of that armor? Where could we allow a little bit more light to shine today? I am Jennifer Cahill, the CEO of OptiMatch and om-heals.com, and always love to hear from you as well. If you ever are struggling, you can go to om-heals.com, where we have over 100 vetted practitioners from around the world, and click our Get Match button to find out who you match with for free using our proprietary algorithm. So answer a few questions, find out who is the best practitioner to support you with whatever you need. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Regarding Consciousness with Jennifer K. Hill. We would love it if you would take a moment and write a review for us, or rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And if you'd like to stay in touch and find out about upcoming events with some of the amazing guests we've had on the show, like Deepak Chopra, and other world thought leaders, feel free to join my email list at metabizics, dot Again, that's metabizics.com. And you can go ahead and join our email list there. Thanks so much. And we look forward to having you join us next week.